who has an annoying habit that, that people like really notice about you that, that bothers them? Anybody? That's it? Only oh, Esther's the only honest one? A couple of other... Okay, yeah, that's good, that's good. Yeah, yeah, we, we all do. Um, I, have this, uh, I have many annoying habits, but I mean, um, there, there's one particular I was thinking about this morning that my, my wife absolutely adores, which actually it means she hates. When, when either we're talking or we're talking with someone, and if I have a book in my hand like this, uh, I start to do this with my finger. I start, to like, I start to sift through every single page in the book. And about 15 pages in, she, she'll hit me. Or she'll be like, seriously, Dave, what are you doing? And, and I just keep doing this thing. And I, I don't know if it's my, I, I wonder why and what it says about me. And I think it's part of my affection for books. I just like to feel them close to me uh, more than just the words off the page. I just, you know, touch my fingers and go through my veins. That's, that's different. Um, but I think another reason why this habit happens is because my mind races so much and I need to do something with my fingers to keep me focused on whoever's in front of me. That's probably the reason. So I struggle with that issue too, and I'll be in counseling after today's message. <laughs> but but we all have, we have some of these annoying habits, and, uh, and they say something about us, and uh, habits can actually say a lot about us, a lot of who we are or what we struggle with or how we interact. And last week, we started a new series, just a short series, called Money Habits, and we explored last week how our money habits reveal our heart how the way we spend our money and where we direct our money actually indicates the, the things we put value to. Uh, and it, re- it flows from our heart. It reveals our heart. And in some ways, when we're not uh, aware of it at times, how we spend our money actually influences us. And so last week, I left all of us off uh, with some homework. And we said, track your money habits. Track your money habits. Trace your money habits. Did anybody do that? Did anybody? One Three, I'm such a horrible teacher. I would get fired, like, in, in high school. Um, yeah, so, so that's what we... So I, I had downloaded this app that comes up with, my, uh, with my bank, and uh, I thought, let me try, what, see what that looks like. My wife and I do track our money and budget that way, but I thought, let's see what, like, the outside system tells me. So I'm going to be tracking for the next month. I encourage us to track our money habits um, in a way that helps us, one, you know, reveal, discover uh, what they are if we're not fully aware of them, so label them and understand that. Also, it tells us, like, what, you know, what we're fueling. It tells us what we feel because our money habits can lead to anxiety and fear. It can lead to joy and contentment. Uh, we also ask the question in our money habits, tracking them, is like, who does it benefit the most? And if we discover it benefits only me, then I realize there's a problem there. If it only benefits you and nobody else, there's probably an issue there. And then we said, trace your money habits, because it, our money habits help us understand who we are. It says something about us. So last week, we landed with that, and I encourage you to do that. For the next 30 or 60 days, track your money habits. You can read on our website. There's a blog post that helps you... Uh, kind of just, uh, you know, how to do that, and you can listen to last week's podcast. But here, here, I think this is true of many people in our society. Money is often related to stress in our culture. When people think of money, or people think of their budgets, or people think of their bills, it often, can often be related to stress. And I, was, I, I just, like, typed in Google, like, money, comma, anxiety, and I got, like, 107 million uh, hits or something. And I know Google is growing and growing with their hits, but like that's a lot, of, a lot of hits for money and anxiety. And I came across understanding that the millennial generation, basically like, you know, end of the 70s till just before the 2000s, about a quarter of all that generation says they're stressed about finances, that, that finances stress them out. 
And then I tried to find out, like, how do Canadians feel about their money and their financial habits? And I came across uh, some stats from just a couple of years ago that says 44% of Canadians believe that, that their financial state impacts their mental health negatively. 44% of, of us Canadians believe that our financial state impacts our mental health negatively, not positively. 30% of, of Canadians feel that their financial stress is a bigger worry for them in their lives than their physical health. They're more, 30% of Canadians are more worried about their finances than they actually are concerned about their health and well-being. And someone tracked this, but that Canadians spend on average seven hours a week worrying about their money. Seven hours a week. Man, that's like a whole night of sleep. Like, that's crazy. So seven hours each week worrying about their finances. And some of the reasons that people talk about this stress is overspending or hoarding. Uh, one that seems counterintuitive, but it's extreme frugal behavior. You'd think if you like saved everything and were so frugal with everything, you'd be less stressful. Well, apparently extreme frugal behavior actually causes more stress. And here's one I didn't realize or think about. Financial infidelity, not being honest about your spending. That causes people to be stressed out. And so stress is often tied to our finances, to our money habits. And today, I want to talk about this in particular because we started this topic last week and we're going to end it uh, in a couple of weeks from now. But this stress is not new. Uh, we looked at Jesus' words last week in Matthew 6 and we're going to continue with them today as we relook at Jesus' teaching on money. And believe it or not, he ties right into this feeling that many of us have in our world, in our modern world, about money. And so I want to read it with you. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, to, uh, to the end of that chapter. You can follow with me on the screen or read in your Bibles. And last week, we read some of the verses that just came up before that. And it's incredible how they're tied together. It's kind of one, one big kind of idea that Jesus is getting at. But here's what he says. And just before he says this, he tells us, you can't serve God in money. And he tells us that where your treasure is, your heart's going to be. And then he says this. Therefore, in other words, what he just said, and now he's letting us know. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or weep or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying at a single hour to your life, or seven hours for Canadians? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow and thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. God, as we just look at this today, as we take some time in it, Lord, maybe there's something uh, even deeper you want to speak into our hearts and our lives that goes way beyond our finances. And so we, we welcome the work of your spirit through this teaching um, beyond what I can even say today. Uh, but help us, God, get a grasp of how this affects um, this crucial piece of our life, God, our finances. In Jesus' name, amen. 
And six times Jesus uses the word worry. Six times he mentions the word worry. Twice, at least twice, at the beginning and the end, kind of like bookends to this, this teaching, he says, do not worry. Do not worry. And, and he's trying to let us know that worry is often a result of how the world or the culture or humanity views money and manages money. He says, you know, like the pagans run after these things. Basically, pagan can be a word for like all of humanity, the people around you. The culture runs after these things. But don't you, don't you know that God treats you differently, that you have God in your life? And so there's this direct tie into his earlier teaching on money where he just earlier says, hey, where your treasure treasure is, that's our money habits, where your treasure is, where you funnel your money, where you prioritize your money, there your heart will be also. So he tells us that just a couple of verses before. So he's saying our money habits have the potential of creating worry. Where our treasure is has the potential of creating anxiety in our life. And then at the end of uh, that short piece or the first part of that teaching, he says, you, you know, you have, he says, no one can serve two masters. It's impossible. And then he ends off saying, you cannot serve both God and money. Jesus, as we said last week, actually says money has the potential of becoming like a, a God in your life. And you can't serve both. And so I, I wrote it this way on the screen, if you want to follow. I wrote it this way for us to just get this big idea. When money is your master, stress is not far away. When money is your master, stress is not far away. So this week and then in two weeks when we end the series, I want to walk through a couple of money habits that really affect us uh, that I really believe will fuel joy and peace rather than anxiety and fear. Now, Jesus in this text doesn't only speak about money. I mean, we can talk about all of life. He actually says there's more to life than just food and clothes and all this stuff. But Jesus flips our approach to how we view money. He flips our approach to how we understand money and finances. So in our world, if we said, like, how does the world function? How do, how do just our friends, are we normally on a daily basis? How do we kind of go about using our money? And I would suggest that it kind of looks like this, that our cultural approach to money is this. We spend, uh, we figure out that we got some credit card debt, so we should pay at least the minimum so the debt doesn't go higher. Then if we have some money at the end of that, we're like, maybe I should save a little bit for a rainy day. Uh, maybe for later in my years, if I'm not working as much, I should save for that. And then if I have money after that, I'm going to give some away. Does anybody kind of see a little bit of that in our culture? Let's kind of, we get our check, let's pay, let's spend money. And someone was telling me outside in the lobby today how many, uh, some of his coworkers uh, sometimes ask him for like, uh, like, can you loan me 20 bucks for gas or pay for my lunch today? And, uh, and yet, like, 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 a ton of their check goes to, like, we're going to hang out with the guys and drink beer and use this and do that. And it's like, how come I'm giving you 10 bucks for lunch, but the case of beer costs you, like, 25? I don't get it. So, anyways, it's this idea, right? We spend, then we're forced to kind of take care of some debt or it goes higher. Then maybe we save, then maybe we, we give. And I think Jesus in this teaching helps us see that the antidote to worry and anxiety we must reorder our life and reorder our finances. Again, it's bigger than just finances, but I want to apply it to finances. Jesus helps us see we reorder our life and our finances, and he helps us understand that by one of the last verses he says in this section, verse 33. He says, seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness, and everything else will be added to you. Seek first his kingdom or God's rule, God's value, God's life, his righteousness, which is God's purposes, God's justice, God's heart for the world and God's heart for you and me, his vision for life. Jesus says, seek first his kingdom 
his righteousness. Flip the order of your life. Flip the order of the way you view your finances and your wealth. And I believe that at the heart of this, when it comes to the six times Jesus uses the word worry, he's trying to get across to us, when, we put God, when God comes first, worry becomes less. When God comes first, worry becomes less. And if this is true, then our money habits flipped will do something unique for us and helpful for us. So I'm gonna, I want to flip the, the, the view of, of the way our world sees money habits, and I want to flip it to this way. What if we flipped the switch on this, and instead of cultural money habits, we flipped it and said, hey, this, if, if we take Jesus' principle and flip money habits, it would look something like this, where, where, we, where we give and we, we grow in generosity right off the top of our values and, and who we are as individuals and what our money habits will say about us, and then we move to really to being understanding about what it means to save and, and obviously if you have debt to reduce debt and then figure out what it means, how we spend all this or how much that means for us. Now, I'm excited because in two weeks we're going to talk about um, the saving and the spending money habits that I, I believe is, is so important for how we combat worry and anxiety in our life. But today I want to start with the first one, because if we're going to flip the switch, then let's kind of flip it in priority. And I want to just talk about this giving habit, this idea of creating a giving habit in in our life. Now, I was talking to someone who came here for the first time today, and I said, by the way, we're in a money series. I know it's the first time you came today. We don't always talk about money. Uh, um, And she was really cool about that. And she's like, well, I I use money all the time, so maybe this will be helpful for me. And I said, that's good. So, and, and I can tell you, some of the stuff we're going to share today, I've shared with people with, that don't even have faith in God, and yet we talk about the, the principle of, of living with a generous heart. But I want to talk about this giving habit. Now, why start with giving? Because probably your spending has a lot to do with your worry, or my worry, and our lack of saving for something might have a lot to do with that. But we start with giving because our life needs a focus Our life needs priority, and it's not just good money management that alleviates worry, but it's our money mindset that starts with God, not us, that starts with his kingdom, not our kingdom, that starts with his kingdom, which is a counter-cultural community that often says what's last becomes first. Jesus says, you want to be the greatest in my kingdom? Become the greatest servant of all. Talking about Jesus, who considered himself equal with God, took on the form of a servant, humanity, became obedient to death on a cross. The idea of the kingdom is when the last become first. Jesus, in Matthew 25, when he speaks to his disciples and and says, you know, when you think of the least of these in our culture, when you serve them, when you walk beside them, when you pay attention to them, it's like you're right in front of me paying attention to me. Jesus flips this idea that the that if we want to do wonderful things and serve him and live a life of meaning and purpose, the, the, the last become first. And that also flips our idea of money. We saw this in the early church. The early church came to know Christ in this incredible move of God's Holy Spirit, and they started to serve others around them and bury the dead of other people's families and, and, and pay attention to, 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 to little uh, Um, female babies who were often left aside because they weren't as important or they got involved in a community that was sick with leprosy that they risked getting sick themselves and they they became the least of these they said you know what i'm gonna flip the switch god's kingdom god's work in me is is leading me to be countercultural in our world in the early church we saw that 
But I want to just be specific today in, in how this all works together and how we start off with this. Because we see that over the scriptures that God instructs his people over history, including the early church, to use um, their wealth and their resources for God's purposes, for his purposes. And that also means, like we said last week, that kingdom stuff is not only church stuff in a sense where the values of God's kingdom can be spread into your family and neighborhood and workplace, and we want to we do that. But I want to start here where, where God um, kind of leads us in this first priority, and we see it in the pattern of the Old Testament. Proverbs uh, 3 verse 9 says it this way, that honor the Lord with your wealth with the first fruits of your crop. So in an agricultural culture or a culture where you had livestock, it was like the first that we have, the best that we have. When we get it at first, we give this. We, we generously sacrifice this. Uh, we, 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 want, we want this to be used for God's work. And so we see this pattern throughout the Old Testament where God even instructed Israel to begin tithing uh, giving a 10% of, of what they owned and what they had to God's work in their world. They were shape, God was shaping a community, was shaping a nation. And God says, you are going to, all, from all that I give you, I want you to tithe back to, to nurture this community, to nurture what I'm doing. And so Israel's tithe, and part of that tithe was, was 10% to, the, to their faith practices. And there was other tithes, other portions that were given beyond that for community things and and social things along those lines. But there was a tenth, a tithe, that really went to fuel their faith practices because that fueled their whole life. And so it fueled their faith practices, the temple, the kind of community they were. They prioritized the poor beyond that tithe. They prioritized the, the marginalized, the, the sick, the foreigner that wasn't part of their nation. If they stumbled onto their nation, they said, how are we going to have these, they called them these, these huts or houses of refuge to help those who need refuge from where they're coming from. They need help. How do we set up these things? And so God shaped this nation, Israel, with all their quirks and all their problems and all the detours they took to think generously about, one, how they fuel their faith and grow, but how, how, they, how they serve their their community, and how they help those that even weren't part of their community. is amazing. And if you read through some of the prophets, often the calls of the prophets to Israel, like, hey, you're neglecting, you're neglecting this need. You're being selfish here. You, you forgot about the widow. You forgot about the orphan. Um, even talking about um, their faith practices, Malachi has strong words from them. They said, he says, stop robbing God. Stop robbing God. Give your full first fruits to God. In his work. And so that, was, that, was, that shaped Israel's heart. And uh, as we move into the New Testament, we don't have this kind of direct teaching like that. But Jesus, he says something to a Pharisee when uh, he's, he's in contact with them. Maybe you can put this one on the screen. Um, he says he, he's, he's getting um, you know, t- confrontational with a religious teacher. And he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And look what Jesus does. Even though we don't have this this similar piece in the New Testament writings as we do in the old, look what he tells this religious leader. He says, you should have practiced the latter, in other words, the justice, mercy, and faithfulness towards others around you, without neglecting the former. Jesus says, don't neglect the former. Don't neglect the tithe. Don't neglect this tenth of your income to bless God's work. But make sure you also practice the idea of justice and mercy 
and, and generosity to those around you. So Jesus challenges these religious leaders of his day, generously help the poor, and continue resourcing God's work here. God's doing something. And as we get into the New Testament, we see this continued focus on generosity with God's purposes. Here's the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth, and, uh, and he says these words. And I love kind of even the rhythm, the, the habit we, already, we see in Paul's words. Hey, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Paul was a, he thought ahead, I guess, right? He's thinking ahead. And, um, and so this idea, now there was two ways that, that, that the church gave in that time. They gave to support their local mission. And then when there was needs in another city, or they knew that this famine was going on a couple of miles away, or a church in another, like a small group of believers were struggling with something and they needed to help their neighbors with something, they would often collect funds and send it to them. So they did both. And Paul often was one of those people, among others, that would, uh, you know, take those funds and bring them to these places. Uh, and so Paul's like, hey, as you're thinking about this, you know, every, every week, be habitual about this. Have a rhythm about this. I like what he says in 2 Corinthians 9. We read this last week. Each one of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Now, this might be towards one of those kind of like couple of miles away uh, crisis help. But he's also saying what you've decided in your heart. Does your heart shape your habits? Does your habits reflect your heart? Don't give reluctantly under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God's able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Paul echoes Jesus' words on not worrying here. So we might not see this kind of law like we see it in the Old Testament, but as we move into the New Testament, Jesus always leads us further. It's incredible, right? When you read the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you heard it said, don't murder, don't kill, but I want to lead you towards not even having anger in your heart. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I want to lead you to a place where you would grow to, to, to not have lust in your heart for a man or a woman. I tell you, you know, you heard it said in the law, like an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. I'm going to tell you, bless, bless those around you, forgive those around you. And so Jesus always pushes us further. It's not about a specific amount, and yet it, he pulls us even further beyond that. We see this pattern, like Paul has, this pattern of, of giving a tithe or 10%. And in fact, we see the early church giving way beyond. And when I read that, I'm actually challenged because I'm a numbers person in proportion and percentage, and I like to know that I've done my part and whatever, right? But then I read this, I'm like, man, the early church set the bar so high. I mean, they, how could I ignore their conviction? How could I ignore their commitment? How can I ignore their practice to God's kingdom through their resources? It says so much about them and about their heart for God's mission and their needs around them. And here's a few things that this says. When you ask the question, what does this money habit say about me? What does this money habit say about me? And I think it says these things. I'll just put some on the screen. It says that we trust God with all our resources. When we become givers first, what it says about us, because habits say something about you and me, it says we trust God with all our resources. That we don't trust our resources, we trust God with all our resources. We, secondly, it says is we trust God to provide all our needs. Now, the first people listening to this, this, this uh, teaching in Matthew 6 was likely the disciples, 
And these disciples were called to follow Jesus. They kind of left the comforts of their, their, their consistent work, their fishing industry, whatever, and they're following Jesus. And they're like going from town to town and this place and that place. They didn't have the ability to go back and work and come back. And, you know, it's not like if they're not near water, how could they fish, right? That's what some of their, their income. And so Jesus is literally tangibly saying to them, hey, don't worry. I, don't you realize that, that I'm, I'm your provider? And when we put giving first, we're saying we trust God to provide all our needs. So Jesus says, like, look at the birds. Look at the birds, how, how, how carefree they are. And look at uh, how, how incredible these flowers look. God clothes them. God provides for them. Now, my money hat mentality would say, well, so I don't have to do nothing to get money? Like, it just kind of falls on my lap? Like, well, no. Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. He doesn't say, don't provide for, don't work for tomorrow. And we'll talk about that in two weeks. But it's this idea. Have you guys ever seen this, this uh, bumper sticker? It's really lame. A lot of Christians, no, I wouldn't say a lot of Christians. Small percentage of Christians have this lame bumper sticker. Honk if you love Jesus. Have you ever seen that? Yeah. It's corny. But somebody, somebody created one, or maybe an antagonistic one again, and he said, tithe if you love Jesus, because any fool can honk. I like that. So, yeah, don't put that on your car, but please. Last year, last year when we were raising funds, uh, at, you know, at Westside for this space and to move into this space, it was an extraordinary year, and we called each other not to equal giving, but to sacrificial giving, and it was incredible to see what God did. And I remember um, as my wife and I were discerning what to do, and, and we had done something just at the end of 2017, and we're seeing how the Lord would lead us in 2018 to do something similar. And um, I remember when my, my wife, was, we were talking about this, and she, she said to me, she said, well, so where, where is this money going to come from? What, you know, what are you thinking? You know? And uh, I often have a knee-jerk reaction to just make a decision and, uh, you know, kind of the best way forward, practical. And she says, well, Dave, wait a second. You know, what, she kind of said, like, where, where, like, where do you think you should take this from? And, I, you know, I had the most practical answer. And she's like, which fund of ours that you, you know, think through and plan and invest? And in which one would, like, which one's the most fragile, you know? So we're talking, and I mentioned this one fund that's necessary for certain things. And she's like, why don't you take it out of there? And then, my, then she saw my face. And I'm like, why there? We could take it from, you know, why? Are you sure? And she's like, yeah. Doesn't that one hurt the most? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> why, like, why? And so, so like, well, uh, okay, you know, and let's do that. So we ended up doing that. And it was, it was like, the, as we're trying to organize how we felt to respond to that need last year beyond our regular giving, it was like, and she pushed me on that. Which one's going to hurt the most? I'm like, why do we have to go that route, you know? And so, but we, but we did, but we did. And, and, I'll, and, you know, and I'll save the story of how that works out another time. It was, it was cool. But what, it, what, it, what that did for us, like, who do we trust? Who do we trust? Who do we trust? So those two things. The next thing is, you can keep that list on there. Don't trust money as the primary source of satisfaction or security. Don't trust money for satisfaction or security. And then the one, what it says about us is that we steward, God's, we steward our money for God's mission. Paul says we're partners in the gospel. And Paul often had a holistic view of that. Our gifts, our time, and our resources. And so think about this, how countercultural this is, because 
The pagans, Jesus says, the world runs after these things with worry and anxiety. But he says, you have a heavenly father that provides for you. So why I think we need to start this with giving first is partly, obviously, the scripture leads us towards this. But read this off the screen, and I think it's important. The habit of giving breaks the habit of worry. The habit of giving breaks the habit of worry. I've done premarital counseling with various couples, and some of them are not followers of Jesus. And when we talk about finances, I always talk about giving and generosity with them. And they're like, what do we do with that? I say, you can do whatever you want with that. I mean, they're not part of a church, you know? But, and I, t- I tell them, this is why. I said, you can either live your life with your fists closed like this, trying to hold everything together, and that creates anxiety. Even as I'm doing this right now, I'm, it's creating tension in my arms and in my body, right? And I said, or you can live your life like this. And it's a qualitatively different kind of life. The habit of giving breaks the habit of worrying. And my wife and I have experienced that over and over again. Regardless of what's happening in the bank account or what bills are coming through, it's so huge. A couple of years ago, Westside gave audaciously, a three, uh, maybe six or seven years ago, our, our, our normal giving was about 12000 15000 a month. And, uh, and, and we felt this call to just do an audacious generosity one month. And we didn't know to what or where at first. And so we just called our church towards that. It was really fun. And we we'd pre-decided before any money came in, and, and I think we did it in June or July. July is not the best month to do this. And we... we um, we said, yeah, we're going to do this, and we pre-decided we're going to give an additional 10% of anything that comes in away. And then the Lord was kind of prompting a few of us at Westside, and we said, you know what, let's up that to 20%. Let's, let's risk this. Because if our regular giving is twelve or 15000 and it, it's lower than that or it reaches that, now we're giving 20% away. That month, we were so blown away. At a, when we were a church that size, we saw $27,000 come in that month. And $7,000 went away, half to local mission and half to global mission. We pre-decided that. And it was a way for us to say the habit of giving is we wanted to counteract the habit of worry. Now, Canadians in general give, about 85% of Canadians donate to a charity every year. And their average gift is $446 a year. $446 a year to an average uh, Canadian donor. Now, when you think about someone's salary, someone told me that the average Montreal salary is about $77,000. That's 0.6% of somebody's salary. 0.6% of somebody's salary. If they make 50,000, it's 0.9%. And I thought, you know, what could happen if people, now this is outside of the church for a second, just thought, I want to live qualitatively different. I want to make an impact different with my, with my income. Here's, here's a giving slide from Westside. And don't worry, there's no names up. I don't have the names. But some people uh, that work with our finances put this together. And we shared this at our, at our vision meeting a couple of weeks ago, and people really felt it was important to share here. And I did share it a couple of weeks ago, but I wanted to share it in this context because when you look at some of these numbers, and let's say the second two, between 1,000 and 3,000 a year, between 3,000 and 5,000 a year, and that's about 41 people within our, our giving you know, group of about 100, 120, about 120 people. And if you start to take those and say, if you multiply them by 10, it's very possible that some of those people make that kind of money, whether it's 
3,000, which is 30,000, or 5,000, which is 50,000, or 10,000, or 20,000. I know that some of those numbers look big, and some of those numbers might look small to you. But when we looked at that, we said, wow, what, what, what could happen if our giving really reflected God's blessing in our life and our income? Because half of the numbers there are actually under 1,000. Half of the numbers are under 1,000. I mean, the, fir- the four lines look really awesome. And they are. It's amazing. But half of that number of people is under 1,000. And it gave me perspective. It gave me perspective of a couple of things. One, we have habitual givers at Westside. In those numbers, especially, I would say, you know, some of the larger numbers, there is habitual givers at Westside. But I'm sure that there is some habitual givers, even in the smaller numbers, reflecting a smaller salary. And that's cool. But there's habitual givers at Westside. When I see some of those numbers, I realize that not everybody in their income fits in the same category. I, bet, I would say that it's very possible that some people who make more um, might be giving the three to 5,000 range, and some people who make less might be giving the five to 10,000 range. Why do I say that? I say that because that's just probably true. Because people give out of their heart, not out of their pocketbook. And it reflects their heart, reflects. Uh, their trust in God. And in those numbers, we see periodic and non-existent givers. And where, why I wanted to highlight this is it means that there's more Christ followers in our church than there are those who give proportionally from their income. And that's not great. That's not great. That doesn't reflect a trust in God and a commitment to fuel his local mission. But imagine, imagine if all of us, if all of us, who called Jesus Lord. Now, you're here today, you're a guest, you're like, I don't even know if I'm a Christian yet. Don't worry. Don't, you know. uh, But, you know, take this idea of how can we we grow in trust and less anxiety to trust in God. That's, you know, I'd love to chat with you about that. But imagine if all of us who called Jesus Lord, if our giving grew to reflect the lordship of Jesus in our life and grew in generosity. Imagine the collective impact that would happen if that would be the case, the resources for discipleship and spiritual formation and kids ministry and youth ministry and local mission and partnerships and, and community impact and blessing our city and global, global partnerships. Imagine, imagine. I want to just go to this last next slide. And this was so encouraging to me that there are students in our church community that give regularly from their limited income. They likely give a higher percentage of some of those who make more. And I thought that was, that was really cool to notice. And I, I love, this just blows me away. It always does when I see it. There's about five uh, people or so, not from our church, that live, uh, you know, out, maybe even outside the city, that give to Westside. They believe in what we're doing between $1,200 and $2,400 a year. And I thought, that, I know that those people already fuel their local church. They're already giving proportionately. And then they sacrifice more for us? Like, why would they do that? I mean, I wish I could know their names and just say, thank you, thank you, thank you. And bless them. That's incredible. And so I just, I brought that up to say, I think we can do better. And I think we must do better for our hearts to combat worry and for the sake of mission. Amen? I believe it's possible. So here's my simple challenge as we come to a close today. Make giving and generosity a habit. Make giving and generosity happen. Don't do it. I don't want you to do this forcefully. I don't want you to try and manufacture this. But if there is a sense that God's calling you and your growth in Christ towards this, then act on it. Then act on it. You can only choose to act on it.
If you trust God with everything, if you believe he's your provider, if you long to seek his kingdom first, like Jesus tells us, and if we understand that this is a way we partner in mission with God, make giving a habit. Not periodic, not once in a blue moon. Make it periodic. And here's why, and here's how. The purpose is bigger than you. The purpose is bigger than me. So big, so much bigger than us. So much bigger than us. And I'm not telling you anything this morning that I don't feel convicted about or committed towards myself, towards our local mission and how God uses us to bless things beyond us. But as you make it a habit, do it like this. There's just these three words I want you to remember. If you're going to make this a habit, one, make it proportionate. Don't make it periodic. It's easier to make something periodic. Choose intentionally this percentage we see throughout the scriptures, at least this benchmark in the New Testament, even though it was lived out in the Old Testament, this idea of, give, of what it would look like to live off 90% of our income and give 10% away to God's mission. Now, this is not your God. It's just your goal. The number is not your God. The number is your goal. But make it proportionate. And if you can't, start somewhere. You might, I, I would challenge you in two ways today. One is I could say, just start this week to try this for two months and see what the Lord does in your life. I don't, I don't mean that God's going to plop like a thousand bucks in your bank account. I mean, I'm not promising that. Um, but trust him. So that's one way to do it. The other way to do it is saying, where am I not? Am I at zero? Am I at two? Am I at three? And say, I want to, this is where the Lord's leading me. I want to make a step towards that. And over the next year, I want to make a step towards that. Trust them proportionately. And then P, practice. Make it a habit. Whether it's monthly or weekly, there's so many that do this through pre-authorized debit on the 1st or 15th or whatever that looks like or through our website. The best thing we've ever done in our family is put generosity first, is put generosity to God's mission first. There's other ways in generosity I've got to keep growing, and God's challenging us, but that's the best thing we've ever done. And the last word is posture. Don't do this uh, in a manufactured way. Do it out of the heart of worship. God is our king. We serve Jesus as our Lord. So make, decision, make a decision today towards this giving habit. And, it, and let me say this. If you're, here, if you're here as a guest, you're here just exploring faith, can I encourage you? I'm not, I, don't want, I don't even want you to give here. Would you practice generosity this week, wherever that might be? You might want to buy some gift cards for, for the truck drivers, but any, anything and just learn how to open up your hand a little bit this week and see if this principle, even though you might not be following Jesus at this moment, if this principle from him actually matters and works, and I believe it does. So let's stand and close as we do that today. And hey, if you, we, there's this wonderful book we often give out called The Treasure Principle. If you make this decision, uh, it's going to be indicated through you know, some of the, the, the data systems we have. We want to bless you with this book. Uh, it's so encouraging. It's, it's going to encourage you and nurture your heart and this practice. So if you decide to grow uh, your giving, to increase your giving, to start giving for the first time, to move towards a tithe, towards a look mission, we want to bless you with that. So maybe you, wanna in, you might want to just send us a note and say, I'm starting this, and we want to get you this resource because it's such a really amazing blessing. We've, we've purchased them in, in order to bless people with them. Um, so just consider that. Now, as we close, all this decision is about Jesus Christ being Lord right? Jesus says, verse 25, is not life, is life not more than food or clothes? It is. We just have the benefit and possibility to use money 
for God's purposes. But our life is not money. Is life not more than these things? It is. And Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and you will discover this life because ultimately there's more to life than money. Jesus is our ultimate source of life and contentment. And so when we give it away, we're, we're deciding, we're saying, I'm not tied to this. Jesus is the source of my life. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful. We're so grateful. And I know that even in the midst of this, in our, in our community today, there's, there's possibly some tension with money or finances or some struggles or a difficult season. God, I pray this, that these principles that we're hearing from you, Lord, you would help us to see the beauty and value of them and help us as a church community to walk with one another towards these steps in a, in, a, in, a, in a wise way, in a caring way, in a pastoral way. But also, God, I know there's some here that just need to take a step and risk and trust you. And God, as we do that, as we trust you for all of our treasure, as we trust you for all of our provision, as we steward the gifts you've given us, God, for your glory and your kingdom, God. May we experience the life that is not about money, but that is life in you. And may that be extended to those around us, God. We have such a beautiful opportunity to partner with you to bring your good news to the world and your goodness to the world around us. And so, God, we're just saying right now that we offer all of ourselves to you, including our income, that has ultimately been a blessing from you anyways. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.